Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down Three dead. Three women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. And a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I am Jen, and sitting across from me is the magnanimous. That's not a word. Magnanimous. Magnanimous. That's that what I was word? trying to say. Yes. I'm not saying it should be the word. But... <laughs> I don't know what that word means. Hopefully it's a good word. It's definitely a good word. I don't <laughs> know what it means. <laughs> I wanted to say that you were the festive gen, mm. but I also don't know what that implies either. <laughs> I don't feel like a festive person. We're, we're feeling pretty like, hey, it's the holidays. Yeah. During a pandemic. Average, you know, it's cool. I feel about average. That's pretty good, actually. Average is good. So happy uh, holidays. <laughs> On that uplifting note, we will be talking about a Christmas movie. One of these years, we'll do a Kwanzaa film or a Jewish movie. That's true. We have to represent. (laughs) Maybe just celebrate the winter solstice. Yeah, that too. We don't do that. Have a very pagan Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get started, we have been doing this thing where we've been updating information about Fantastic Beasts like we care. (laughs) Um, We do, but only... For the purposes of seeing if they were able to fix anything. (laughs) So the newest update, if you have not heard, is that Johnny Depp and Warner Brothers, believe it's Warner Brothers, decided to go their own ways. Having to do, in part, if not all, because of Johnny Depp's court case that lost. He lost his court case about libel. And he sued a tabloid for calling him a wife beater, because that's what he is. Uh, and he sued for libel, and he lost. And it was shortly after that, that that him and Warner Brothers kind of were like, yeah, we think it's time for you to go. And everybody was like, phew, <laughs> that's not true. A lot of people were very against it and stood in support of oh. Johnny Depp. A lot of his, his, you know, diehard fans, you know, don't believe that he should have been, quote, fired, even though that's not what they said happened. And he still gets a paycheck from it. So I don't think Johnny Depp cares about it at all. He just doesn't want to be called a wife beater. They needed somebody else in that role anyway, because he had nothing to do. Uh, he was just pasty and weird. And maybe that's not entirely his fault on his behalf, right? Totally. I mean, it was written horribly. Totally. Um, not to say that J.K. Rowling's initial concept of that character was poorly written. I actually think that's really interesting. Yeah. But in Fantastic Beasts scripts, his character was not solid, was not specific, didn't have motivation. You know, all of that was lacking. So maybe a recast... Well, and I don't know, he didn't seem to have a lot of freedom or mm-hmm. say, or if he did, he had nothing to bring to it. I don't know that we'll ever know the true factors behind all of it, but it was definitely sort of a dead-on-arrival role for him and for the character because the character doesn't make any sense because JK doesn't know what she's doing. Just is what it is. But so they did find somebody else to replace him. There was a lot of different people to consider, but they chose Mads Mikkelsen. He is a European actor, but he's been in quite a few American films as well. He looks sinister. He's got that like good look for it. He seems like a really gentle person because he plays bad guys a lot. But based on his Twitter feed, he seems like a really gentle person. And, you know, he was asked about what it feels like to take Johnny Depp's role. And he, he was very neutral. I mean, he was very, you know, I hope that everything works out for him and for the company and for the movies and I'm really surprised to be here but happy to be here I'm like cool these are good responses and I think he'll be really interesting to see on screen assuming that Dumbledore is still part of this to see him and Jude Law interact interesting yeah the chemistry needs to be there between them huh and he's a much different sort of character for Jude Law to play off of you know hopefully at some point we'll actually get to see something other than like a weird friendship ring 
it should be interesting. I'm hoping this dude will bring something and they'll let him bring something and to the role. And we know that she's been rewriting. <laughs> and they keep pushing the date back because they're rewriting. I'm like, that's probably good, hopefully. Dear Lord. Yes. I think there was a finally enough talk that maybe she'll be able to fix some things, but also to accept help with it because maybe this you know, the story is sort of eluding her now because it's going in a different direction, which it should. Yeah. <laughs> On to the main feature. So, <laughs> we're going to be talking about a movie that we both agree, I believe, is underrated and under the radar and something we recommend for people to watch if they enjoy a Christmas film with some humor and some awesome diversity and some turning of the holiday film tropes. Or, I mean, do you want to tell us the summary? Indeed, indeed. It was a, a made-for-TV comedy, 2001, and it's called Call Me Claus. Oh, yeah, I forgot to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, don't, you haven't guessed what it is yet? You'll figure it out as we go along. <laughs> Call Me Claus with Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Nigel... Hawthorne? Hawthorne. Is that right? Sir Nigel Hawthorne. Mm. That is correct. But a, a very quick summary of it. Every 200 years, a new Santa Claus must be chosen and trained, or else divine intervention will leave the globe in catastrophe. Nick, the current Santa Claus, has put off choosing a successor, especially because the one he wants is a Scrooge-like producer for a home shopping network. Out of all things. <laughs> So Lucy, who as a girl put on Nick's prophetic Santa hat, is filled with the Christmas spirit until her family is notified of her father's death on Christmas Day. Now, as a grown, bitter woman, Lucy is approached by Nick, who is now desperate to convince her that she is the next Santa Claus. Dun dun dun. What will happen? <laughs> this time next episode no, <laughs> which is a great premise i mean i know there's a lot of santa movies out there but like you said this one is definitely taking those old tropes and turning it on its head yeah uh, and we yeah we'll definitely explore the plot some more but that's like you said that's a good rundown of like what we're going to be talking about and um in terms of the film you already included made for tv movie christmas family-esque it's one of those films i think where there's like jokes for adults as well as kids the jokes aren't too raunchy <laughs> for kids to like know what's happening yeah but it's not like oversimplified like you would see with like the santa claus film the santa claus film not like any santa claus you know what I mean? <laughs> no the santa claus film <laughs> it was directed by peter warner who is a straight white dude Writers included Sarah Bernstein, who did the teleplay, Gregory Bernstein, who did the teleplay, and Brian Bird, who also wrote the teleplay. And the script itself was, or the, the story itself was written by the same people, except for Brian Bird, for some reason, wasn't a part of that. And this other dude named Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney! He's awesome, though. Have you not heard of him before this? Tell me. Well, he acts, of course, but he's also a comedian. And an activist. His stories involve racism and nice. representation. Oh, yeah. cool. So he's done some great work. I don't think I've watched any of his stand-up stuff, mm. but he's done a lot of that as well. That's interesting that he wasn't part of the teleplay then. He was part of writing the story, the initial story. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's pretty awesome anyway. Yeah. That's where it should start with representation in the story. Well, that's true too. Mm. But, you know, I always think that comedy writers are most wanted in the script right phase not in the story phase you know what i mean because those are like the final phases right yeah and a lot of things are cut before then right Ugh, so heartbreaking yeah so the film stars whoopi goldberg as lucy collins if you aren't familiar with whoopi goldberg she is an american woman she's actually straight but it's interesting because she's one of those people who people constantly think is gay and she's been questioned about it like her whole life and she's like i love gay people but i'm not one of them and i'm like that's cool i get that i mean i don't but it's great and like a, a lot of people in the lgbtq community she's like one of those people that has been accepted by that group generally speaking that's great kind of like a lady gaga in a way um <laughs> and she's been married three times yeah yeah married three times and she, she's definitely not, but I, I thought she was too for a long time. Oh. I remember looking up and being like, what? 
She's in the closet. <laughs> She'll come out any day. <laughs> that's just my answer for everybody, though. So that's not really fair. Did you want to add anything more about Whoopi? I mean, in my humble opinion, I think she was one of it was Allah. She's not dead. <laughs> she is one of those multi-genre actors. She started off in drama, but then she was super successful in comedy. And now she's like a host, and she makes all these special appearances, including Once Upon a Time. Oh, hey! In um, some of the newest episodes, mm. yeah. Star Trek. Did you know she asked for the role of Guinan in Star Trek? Makes sense, but no, I didn't know that she asked for it. According to Wikipedia. <laughs> I, don't, I should never trust Wikipedia, but sometimes it's kind of interesting. When you they find. cite their sources. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But she was inspired by Uhura when she was oh, younger. Oh, I think I did read that somewhere. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. At some point, if possible, we should talk about that actor because she really changed the face of television in a lot of ways. It's nice. I mean, we've been rewatching the original series and... It occasionally surprises me. I mean, all the stories are basically about the white straight men, but it's surprising how many of the background people on the ship are all genders and all colors. It's kind of hard to represent gay people without blatantly showing them being gay in some way. Right, right. (laughs) But like, they're pretty diverse. A lot of Asian people in the background, which was still not common. There's like so few Asian people on American television. So it's pretty impressive. I can see why people still talk about that show, even though, like I said, most of the story is about white straight dudes. Anyway, sorry, sidebar. But it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I would agree for sure. It's only, you know, been 40 years since then, and we've <laughs> moved micro steps forward, but long change lasts a long time. So let's hope for that. Uh, the And the other guy you mentioned that's Nick, who plays Nick, is Nigel Hawthorne. He was raised in South Africa. And I thought he was a straight white dude. I don't know who I looked up, but he's, uh, as you pointed out, he's actually a gay man and pretty well renowned for theater and film work in Europe and knighted by the queen. And you mentioned as well that this was his last film before he died. Yeah. He actually died in December of 2001 when this movie would have been televised. Oh, wow. He seems like a really sweet little guy. I know. I mean, he's kind of quirky energetic little old man energy which is always fun i love actors who start off on stage though there's something about them that's i guess that's classically trained but not always sometimes it's just that they're more fun like you said they're fun to watch and they're angela lansbury yeah comes to mind exactly yeah Yeah, there's something about the stage first yeah that midler okay anyway (laughs) let's list all of them (laughs) and then playing the antagonist in the film is brian stokes and the antagonist's name is Cameron. And this guy is really interesting. He's German, Scottish, African, and Native American. And he's been in a lot of things, but nothing I recognized. Mm. A lot of appearances, but nothing like substantial. I feel like this is probably one of his bigger roles. He plays a great, uh, how would you describe that character? Arrogant, but like kind of pathetically arrogant. Exaggerated. Exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pathetically arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's very, like, yeah, animated and also has that kind of bubbly energy, even though he's supposed to be, like, quote, the bad guy. Yeah, it didn't get too villainous or too scary or dark. It's more of that theatrical, satanic image that I was like, yeah, up. there's a scene where he look, turns into the devil, but, you know, it's not dark. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that scene because that's a turning point, but yes. you're right. It's more quirky than it is dark. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then Ralph is the assistant to Santa. He's, like, the head elf played by Taylor Negron. I'm not sure how to say it. And he's interesting as well. I mean, he's been in so many things, hundreds of things. He's from Puerto Rican descent. um, And him and Whoopi Goldberg were besties. And and it shows on screen. Like, they have such great chemistry because they kind of are antagonistic to each other. And I feel like people in real life who are antagonistic to each other just have such great chemistry or can on screen. And they totally do. He was, like, really awesome. He he came from a pretty well-to-do family, pretty privileged guy, which doesn't really match how he looks and acts. I mean, he's kind of a dork, uh, but he, like, studied under Lucille Ball. I think he studied at UCLA. So he had, like, a lot of comedic geniuses that were at least briefly his instructors. I feel like it shows. His timing and his comedy is pretty spot on yeah he's one of those people where you're like you don't know what he's like in person because he plays the character straight and maybe he is like that in person but his roles vary so it's hard to know but he died 
<laughs> what? I didn't know that. Yeah, he died of, oh, God, I think cancer. No, um, he looks so young, though. This was only 2001, and he looked young. I know. Oh. I, I don't remember when it was. I didn't write it down, but he, he did pass away. But his movies will live on. Yeah, he, he is memorable. Yeah, he was in one of my most favorite movies as a kid. So, like, as soon as I saw him in this movie, I was like, oh, my God, I love you. (laughs) And I think that's pretty much all I had on just sort of giving you the rundown of our main players. I was going to ask you, maybe we don't know. I didn't do a whole lot of research on it, but I was wondering what the feedback was, if it was well-received. I saw some, like, critics review, but did people like it when it came out? It came out on TNT, which was a pretty popular station. But I don't know. Like, did you read anything about how it was received? I didn't even look at that because I received it so well. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. (laughs) I just didn't even think about it. But I think that's a good question. I mean, just like, it's a wonderful life. Like, I think there is something to whether or not audiences resonate with it at the time of its release. As opposed to sometime later. Yeah. When it becomes classic. Right. So I think that's good homework for all of our listeners. I mean, reviews can only be taken with a grain of salt. Right. As we're about to review this. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen to us. (laughs) So do you want to kind of take us through some of the story points and tropes and archetypes? And we can talk about diversity and maybe discuss some of the things that we would do to change it and update it. And... Really, I mean, it was only 2001, but really this was pretty out there, I think, for what we see in the media, especially like some TV movie. But I think you mentioned, you know, this was part of Whoopi Goldberg's production company. Right. So some of it really did have to do with uh, a woman, a black woman who had found success in the industry and had to produce or had to or wanted to produce this on her own. I don't think we would get something like this otherwise so readily, especially in 2001. And I love all her movies or most of her movies for that reason. They're always testing the, the norms. So as far as story patterns and archetypes, I have four points. The first one is the overall story pattern that fits, in my opinion, most into A Christmas Carol. And we actually most, a lot of holiday movies would fit into the pattern, and I'll tell you why in a moment. (laughs) The second one is uh, how the urgency of the global consequences help pacing of the movie. The third is the fantastical element of the chosen hero. Which we've talked about, generally speaking, in other episodes and how how we feel about that. Absolutely. Then the fourth one, how the comedic elements make it unique, especially in this traditional pattern. Is that you, Santa Claus? So Christmas Carol is a Charles Dickens original story, but it became famous for the archetype of Scrooge, because it's usually about a bitter, often wealthy loner who must be shown the spirit of Christmas by some supernatural means. That's a good way of encapsulating it. Yeah, done. That's like the basic... So in this case, Lucy would be Scrooge. She begins bitter. She must be shown Christmas spirit. And then she is reborn. There's some other elements actually very similar. Like Christ? Like Christ. Sorry. (laughs) Was Christ bitter? I don't know. Well, I don't know about that. But he was reborn. He was reborn. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't have a great time or anything. He also wasn't super mean about it. That's true. That's true. Okay. I I take it back. I rescind. But yes, Christ was indeed reborn. (laughs) So another common element of Scrooge is that there is some sort of traumatic past and it's made them who they are with that bitter, that loneliness, right, comes from something that's happened to them. But in this case, Lucy's father is in the Vietnam War. Diversity check number one. Yeah. And Christmas Day, they go to see Santa, Lucy and her younger brother with her mom. And that's when we first get this picture of Lucy being destined to be Santa Claus because there's a magical Santa hat that's placed on her head and it glows. And even Santa Claus, who's the character Nick, is surprised by it because it doesn't, I guess it doesn't happen often that a candidate of Santa Claus is found. It's this moment of like, okay, we get it. Lucy is special. We don't know quite why yet, but we do know that she's a happy child. She loves Christmas. She loves her family. And she's so cute. Oh, she's adorable. <laughs> but she also looks like a tomboy. Totally. Very whoopy. Yeah. I love Hello. it. Oh, so good. But that day, they receive a 
I don't know what those guys are called. The ones that come and tell you that your relative is basically missing in action or dead, right? Well, I mean, the way they cut it, it's like half an hour later. So they like have this really happy moment where she gets to see Santa, wants her father back. And then it kind of hard cuts to like them going home and, you know, the military man showing up. It's pretty rough. I forgot. You're right. She actually asks Santa for her father to come back home. So that's pretty traumatic. The day that you ask for his return is the day you hear that he's dead. Yeah. If that doesn't spoil the spirit, I don't know what will. And that's even a line her mom says. Her mom says something like, daddy is coming home. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's her trauma. Yes. And ours, apparently. Yes. <laughs> Everybody should feel it. That's just so sad. I feel like even that's more traumatic than whatever happened to Scrooge. What? He, like, fell in love and he screwed it up. Well, that was his fault. <laughs> this is not Lucy's fault, okay? This is, yeah, definitely more of an innocent young girl being sort of her world being ripped apart to some degree which i think is more emotional already yeah far more traumatic number two the character's work involves taking people's money in some way they are the hoarders because they don't tend to care about charitable causes causes they're loners smog yeah <laughs> thank you just like collect money yeah exactly like dragons yeah they, and they don't know why they're doing it and in this case lucy i mean the sh- home shopping network is the weirdest thing because they actually say our job is to sell crap it's a bunch of like items that nobody wants cheaply made yeah overpriced it's- i love the commentary if anyone can fake a warm fuzzy christmas and make those couch potatoes cough up their hard-earned bucks it's you lucy they all pour a lot of energy into it, too. I mean, it's very L.A. in that way. It, it all takes place in Los Angeles. And I think that was a really good fit for, like, this plasticky, fake world of consumerism. Well, I hate everything about it. Other than that, it's perfect. That's another point that's definitely checked. Because mm. she does live alone. She is pretty wealthy. She's only, like, the second on this ring of producers. So she's pretty up there. She has her own assistant. So, yeah, that's another box checked. Nice. The third, oh, I just mentioned it, the un- underappreciated assistant in A Christmas Carol. It's Cratchit. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I should always remember Cratchit. <laughs> in Lucy's case, she has like this white mousy lady who we know is also loving because she has a nephew, a handicapped nephew. Mm-hmm. And we see that her values are family and love and all she wants is a thank you from Lucy every now and then. And she never gets it, right? Except at the very end. Here's your latte. Thanks. You just said thanks. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Again, there's that underappreciated but loving assistant archetype in there. She's one of those characters that, like, is constantly in the background. Like, she comes in for a second and then she's out because she's got, like, shit to do, which I think is a really smart way of doing that. Right. It's not like we're following her, like, Cratchit or anything. Right. But but she does serve that archetype. There's, like, the running joke of Whoopi Goldberg not having a coffee in her hand. She's like, where is that girl with my coffee? (laughs) It's like every time she's in the office, that's what happens. And in the end, they sort of insinuate that Lucy's white producer friend and her assistant might like each other in the future. Which is pretty funny. Yeah. The third thing, oh, is the supernatural interference. Mm -hmm. In A Christmas Carol, it's the three spirits. In this case, it's the divine intervention of the Santa Clausing action. Because we know it's not just one figure. It's not the historic Nick. Every 200 years, there's a new candidate that takes on the job. Contract work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, yeah it feels like an odd i like it though it's nice to have a variation of these figures even if they never really change in the meadow world if it's always constantly a white dude it's still kind of nice to have like different versions of this within that meadow world you know what i yeah. mean and to know that after lucy it could be yeah. again anybody yeah Every 200 years. You just got to wait 200 years. <laughs> and then the purpose of the supernatural interference is that the main character is shown the error of their ways. They're trying to bring them back to the light to redeem them. That probably makes it pretty consistently, I don't want to say like Christian or anything, but like divine, religious, you know, it keeps it in that realm. So after the revelation or the change of the character, they must take some sort of action to keep their new character intact. Gotcha. 
So for Scrooge, it was showing charity, taking care of Tiny Tim right away, mm -hmm. going to his nephew's house for dinner. Right. There's like concrete actions taken. And in Lucy's case, she accepts the job of being Santa Claus. Yeah. She like starts that quick, quick training because it's literally like that, that night. night. <laughs> she has to start doing it. Yeah. She's sort of contracted herself. She's agreed to keep this change. Right. So those are like the, the common elements nice. of a Christmas carol. Very nice. Are there any other movies? Well, I guess the Santa Claus, right? That it it follows a similar premise. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like to some degree, all of those kinds of Santa films do. Whether it's a new Santa arriving or Santa needing to get back or whatever it is. Um, even like Elf had a little bit of Santa running out of magic because people don't believe. In this one, there's Nick is running out of magic as well because we're getting closer to the end. So I feel like there's a lot of different elements that cross over. And I credit A Christmas Carol just because this is one of the first instances of seeing this pattern as far as published work. Whether or not the writers did that on, if they did it cognitively, cognitively? If they did consciously. it- Consciously. Consciously, thank you. Hopefully they did it everything <laughs> cognitively. But, you know, whether or not they did it or not that way, it seems a little too close to the pattern to not have derived from it. Or- have derived from the same thing that A Christmas Carol derived from, you know? Exactly. Maybe that's the collective unconscious again coming out of the works. Or maybe we've just seen that story so many times that we already have the pattern in our brains somewhere. That's part of the collective unconscious, isn't it? It is. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that's totally the collective unconscious. <laughs> so the second element is urgency of the global consequences. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest beginning premises that's mentioned is the or else factor which is what will happen if a new santa is not chosen by christmas eve midnight right nick's walking along the street this is where my favorite quote comes from and the head elf he's pretending to be like a homeless man it was the night before christmas and all through the house not a creature was stirred because they were all dead <laughs> such a great part he's like Whoa. <laughs> Ralph. So then they explain that because he hasn't chosen a successor, God is going to send something like the Great Flood down on Earth. We'll all be destroyed. It's like a huge catastrophe. And it's shown through the movie through global warming. Which events. takes our second diversity element, especially for 2001. Ah, yeah. Global warming, even as a background storyline like this, is actually pretty rare without people trying to politicize it. Oh, interesting. And the fact that this is sort of a background as a side effect of Santa is kind of a stretch, but it feels like it's there for a reason. And I would also say that because you brought up Ralph pretending to be a homeless man, that homelessness is also another thing in this film that gets showcased momentarily that I would also argue is pretty diverse in terms of representation, because usually that also has politicized or negative or positive spin to it whereas this seems like it is documenting it it's not saying anything about it but it is by not does that make sense yeah things that are in the political eye will probably be a scary subject totally <laughs> so there's like a part in the film where it's kind of a montage the reporter from the news that's talking over it is showing all these clips i mean he's talking about the weather and how it's going to be like the hottest winter in LA on record. And people are out and about. Like people, it's LA. So people are at Venice Beach. And like everybody's like chill. Uh, excuse me. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we get the scene where like later on where they're talking about like Christmas spirit. And these like two women. It's just a funny scene to me. These two women are passing a homeless guy. They go back to him. And they pull out a blanket. And they put it over him. And it's supposed to be like a nice gesture. And it is, but it's like 90 degrees. <laughs> you kind of... Let us help you fry, shall we? It was a good effort. Two little, you know, white ladies. Like, they're doing their best, okay? But I get, I get what they were trying to do. And it's still, even though it's pretty brief, it's still sort of showing us something that's real, that happens in the real world, and happens no matter what time of year it is. And I think... It, juxtaposing that with Lucy and just wanting to go to Bora Bora and 
her boss just wanting to make as much money as possible, it really kind of like highlights the dichotomy between the two. Yeah. And and then story-wise, it provides that deadline factor, the urgency factor, the or else factor, <laughs> because <laughs> it's basically saying that Nick has 12 days to convince Lucy that she's Santa Claus or else there'll be global consequence. You know, this, this is kind of expanding the scope of it a little bit, even though where the story is taking place is a very small scope. For a story, it gives that pacing and the chief elf is a pretty good timekeeper for that reason because he's like, okay, you know, you're down to like nine days to convince Lucy. Now you're down to two days. He's our audience character as well. That's exactly what he is. So it keeps, for me anyway, it kept some urgency and some adrenaline going. And Yeah. Even at like, even once she accepts, I love that scene so much where she's talking to Nick and she's accepting that she's going to be Santa Claus. And he like comes in and he's like, we need to hurry. <laughs> Wrap this up. <laughs> Like, let's go. He doesn't even acknowledge that she's accepted the, the job. He's just like, great, let's do it. I hate to break up this love fest, but we have three billion gifts to deliver by sunrise. So speed this up. I'm like, that's a good person. That's how you want your like foreman to be. Yeah. You know, exactly. keeping on schedule. But I agree. He, he kind of keeps the time going so that you don't get too comfortable. Exactly. I also am always interested in how that urgency is taken care of, like the tactics that Nick uses on Lucy, because it's usually in a triple pattern. And in this case, it was. I actually had to think about it a little bit, but it was. So the ways he attempts to do it is first by mentioning Lucy's father. Which was not a good move. Yeah, it was a pretty hard move because it's he had just met like Lucy's niece and brother and he's he was very kind to them and he was saying like, well, why aren't you with your family? And she's like, it's none of your business. And he basically says, you know, your father would be would, proud of you. Yeah. And I'm like, like, whoa, oh my God, Nick. That's like. Coming in hot. Okay. <laughs> and obviously she doesn't react well to it. She's like, you know nothing about my father. How dare yeah. you say that to me? Yeah. Okay, that tactic is not working. Mm -mm. Not a good one to start with. No, no. And I guess we should mention, which I hadn't mentioned yet, that the, the premise also is that Nick is auditioning to be a character in the Home Shopping Network to sell items, to host and sell their items. And they even have a little set for him that's mm. very Christmassy, fireplace, and they give him the object to sell and he'll talk about it in front of the camera. Reading a prompter. Reading a prompter. <laughs> so Nick has to s stick with Lucy for that reason. They're seeing each other daily to do this job before Christmas. And then later when they lose track of Nick, Lucy's boss says, you need to live with Lucy so we don't lose you again. Yeah. So she, he literally becomes her housemate then. Right. Which leaves room for the second tactic, which is literally showing Lucy the magic. Mm. Right? He mm -hmm. takes her to the North Pole. Which is great. She thinks it's a big delusion. Right. And they kind of set it up like she might be dreaming. Yeah. But she does see the toy factory, mm -hmm. the elves, the sleigh. Which she calls goblins. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay. Such a great... We'll play the clip because it's such a great line. Goblins are bad seeds. Mm -hmm. They're what happen when gnomes and leprechauns get drunk on a beach at night. Mm -hmm. When leprechauns and gnomes get drunk on the beach at night? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the elves are like, they're all like upset by that. <laughs> and the or else factor is explained to her and um, and even the prophecy is explained to her. As a child, you did have the Christmas spirit and that's why I want you to be the next Santa Claus. But again, there's like that moment where I think Lucy connects, this in my opinion, Lucy connects Christmas with uh, her father's death and that's... She shuts down. And she makes makes herself believe it was a dream. Well, and he, he tells her you won't remember any of this. And that's sort of the tragic part, in my opinion, where yeah. he's like, okay. So they go back and she she remembers, like, vaguely some of it, but they both play it off as a dream. The work he just put in is undone. So it's another good low. And in my opinion, that's an attempt to sort of override the essence of the problem, which is Lucy's personal tragic story in his urgency it's it's yeah. a desperate plea He's like no well this is gonna happen the world is gonna end <laughs> but like no but what about her world right you need to fix that first right. we need to identify that first and then we can talk about the world so thirdly and the thing that does work nick by then sort of surrenders he's kind of bittersweet about it he in his exit from the home shopping network he was like good luck world <laughs> you yeah know, it's like this really they're like why do you say that yeah like, I don't know. Odd, tender moment of you know people are basically good and 
he's talking to everybody, but I think he's also talking to Lucy, saying it's okay to be who you are. I can't do anything about it. And ultimately, with some other factors and the help of a weird villain, which is her boss. Right. That was interesting. <laughs> but she personally makes her change for the better. And Nick, all he has to do is leave the Santa hat in her apartment and she puts it on. And she gets to, well, we can talk more about this in a little while, but she gets to keep her agency in doing so. She's literally being passed a hat <laughs> from a sort of classical white man christian tradition-y kind of feeling and it's being given to this idea of modernism modernism that a woman of color would be taking up the mantle in a tradition that would continue but in this new way and she doesn't have to change herself to do that oh my gosh if she had to like really change who she was then she would lose all of her agency and it would be like oh okay so it's not even if she were to take it it wouldn't be the change it would just be the same old same old but she gets to choose what she wears she gets to tell him like yes on this no on that and that allows her personality to become part of the role absolutely and the change comes when the villainous character who is her boss is saying because this home shopping network this year was so successful that we could just get bigger and better, take more money, we will own Christmas. And in, a, in an instant, she's like, I can't let that happen. So yeah, I like that. It, you're right. It's her own agency, her own coming to terms with right. her past. Yeah. So even though the, the supernatural aids are there, right. that's not what changes her. Hang in my stocking. I can hear knocking. Is that you? Santa Claus. Okay, so the third element that I wrote down was uh, the chosen hero. And what this is, the saving of the world, which is destined for a, an individual or an action. It's often demonstrated by an object, the sword and the stone for King Arthur, the sorting hat for Harry Potter. So their destiny is foretold by some sort of object or person. And they do use that element, which I think was really cute for Lucy's case, because it's a Santa hat. I mean, traditionally, it's a white Christian male thing. But if you you have to voluntarily put it on yourself, and if it glows, you are possibly meant for this tremendous job for 200 years. <laughs> and and I, I liked it because in this particular case, it's part chosen hero and part not. Because there are other kids on a list that they have that also had a hat that glowed. So it's not like she is the only one, capital O, but she is one of the few who would fit the role. And they have gone through the other people on the list. You know, she's sort of the last pick because of who she is, where she is now being the Scrooge-like character. I think that's a really nice caveat. If Harry Potter had something more like that, I would be a little bit more, like, nice about it. <laughs> yeah. Jen and I have talked about how it's overused, especially coming from this Western male white tradition and heroic tales. They were usually prophesized often by God. And that's why a lot of people were, I mean, people were pissed about a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons people were so angry about where the new Star Wars films went was because she was somebody without a name. She wasn't connected to anyone. She was an every person. So it's nice for the audience young and old to be able to put themselves in that position male or female and they sort of undid that in the last film which was really disappointing maybe it fit that universe more to do it that way but then don't make that part of the arc yeah just keep the mystery until you're ready to reveal it i don't exactly. even know why they would have that as an option because they didn't know what they were doing oh yeah that's right yeah. we talked about that because <laughs> they had no idea what they were doing and they didn't think it through uh and that's what happens. I think that's why I like not only anti-heroes, but heroes that kind of fall into these things. Like, even though we talk about the Venom problem, the character of Venom and how he becomes this anti-hero is really an everyman story and every person. I love that. 
So I, I do kind of like that this story uses that, but it isn't completely bad. Exactly. I'm like, cool. You cheated the system and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but it also makes her, in my opinion, it made her more special than the other names who were all male on the list. Totally. Stick out more. Totally. It's like, you you know, you're, you're in a group still, but out of this group, you're the last choice because you're the most difficult, but you're also the prime choice. I love it. It's, it's very... Uh, nuanced which is nice in a film that could easily be so black and white it's so nice that it's like in this gray area and it works in the gray area it's not like lazy gray area <laughs> it's like well thought out gray area <laughs> perfect exactly uh, stopping for a visit is that you santa claus last but not least the comedic elements i personally like the parallels of hiring santa claus as a searching for yeah (laughs) searching and hiring santa claus is is happening at the same time right so nick is trying to find his successor lucy's trying to find a host for the show yes you want to talk about that scene where they're it's so great (laughs) it's just a it's an audition sequence so it's like all these different people coming in to audition all men of course because that's sort of the point and you get such a fun array of people that it's it's really pretty classic. I mean, you have, we have some representation in those scenes as well. So we actually have a, an outright, I would say, um, blatant gay man in one of those scenes, as well as an implied gay man. And they're not in a negative connotation in any way. And I think it's during that same sequence or it's, no, it's it's later. But there's a mention of somebody cross-dressing as well in a non-negative light, which is really nice and like surprising. We have like a, you know, what does this mean? Flamboyant. <laughs> flamboyant, thank you. We have a very flamboyant like theater guy who's got like a beret and a scarf and he's like doing like a Hamlet version. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell is this? And then there's like a guy who, you know, kind of stereotypically like what you would think of as like a mechanic kind of guy where he's all greasy and kind of overweight and like wearing suspenders and he's like he like show his butt crack yeah he shows his butt he's just like it's too early for that it was fun it was a cute demonstration of like the different kinds of characters that you would expect not to be in the role of santa and why nick becomes the easiest choice which is most important to make him look better these people are a little bit all over the place right i'm very la i have to say like i would imagine that this is how auditions go for especially for like a, a network like QVC, which is obviously pretending to be. That's what you get. Oh, <laughs> That's the camera you want to make love to, you know, in a peace on earth, goodwill toward men sort of way. That's so inauthentic. Like everything that they do is just inauthentic. Totally. It it's totally. all like a rouge. And it, it's very, um, it kind of harkens back. I think one of the things that I like about this film is that you can see lots of different references to classic Christmas films and they kind of pop out in different moments and I, I really liked that because I'm like oh that was totally from this movie or oh this is like hearkening to that film but one of one of the ways that they do this I think is with this and with a Miracle on 34th Street they kind of pick this enigmatic character who people think of as classically Santa who is able to make people money because he's being genuine and people respond to that. So he has this moment, which is, like I said, very much in the realm of Miracle on 34th Street, where he's showing off a toy and it's live and he finds out that it's a slot machine and he gets angry about it. He's like, I I will not sell this on TV. And they're like panicking and they're like, you know, go to commercial and they fire him. And then, you know, five minutes later, the big boss comes back in. He's like, where is he? I'm going to kiss him. You know, like. He's selling everything because he's the first genuine. Yeah, exactly. That's very much a miracle on 34th Street. Interesting. We did talk about Ralph already, right? As the audience character, timekeeper. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Ralph? I'm just going to say, like, they do it really effectively. The filmmaking is effective where he's sort of annoying Nick and in part annoying us. Right. Like, we're kind of trying to go along with Nick, and then he, like, pops in and is, like, making all these sassy comments, and you're like, Ralph. (laughs) And I think just because we're talking about it, you know, there was another moment of feeling like it's being pulled from another Christmas film, but in a good way was Santa Claus, where Lucy 
is constantly calling Ralph by different names, which is sort of what Tim Allen's character does with the head elf in the Santa Claus, where he's constantly calling on the wrong names on purpose. Barnaby oh and God. all these different things. So she calls him all kinds of things, but none of them are his name. Oh, Rashomon. Uh, Rakiki. Risotto. Rapscallion. Rosebeard. The name is Ralph. And it's like later when he requests that she call him by his name and she's like, fine <laughs> ralph even yeah even then she does it with yeah, sassy. sassy yeah <laughs> so that feels like another one of those things where you're like yeah like this is familiar and good but it doesn't feel like it's being overused it's it just works he's like the springboard for everybody <laughs> she's always calling him saying that he has a pituitary problem because <laughs> he's like giant he's so tall <laughs> Yeah, and he's so, like, matter-of-fact, too, because he's theatrical, but he takes everything very seriously. Yeah. He's the timekeeper. You, can, you can't mess him up. It's his job to be serious. Yeah. And in and doing gets, so, he's hilarious. Totally. He gets, like, flustered sometimes, and he's always peeved at somebody. So he's really fun to watch. I'm totally. like, if I could be any character in this, that's the one I'd want to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, since we talked about Cameron a little bit and his satanic transition there at the end it was interesting they oh yeah so i guess we didn't say exactly how this happened but when lucy's car breaks down at work he offers to give lucy a ride he is trying to sell her on the point of them owning christmas by next year because that's how wealthy they've gotten together together yeah he's gonna go with her to bora bora right oh yeah she's like no i'm good that's not part of the plan The ultimate, like, big no-no is we will own Christmas. Right there is the cutoff. No, that's not who I am. I can't let you do that. Right. Right. That's when she steps up as the hero, for sure. But while he's saying all these things, his face suddenly starts to stretch and his ears become pointed (laughs) and his voice lowers. It's a very comedic TV effect, right? But it totally works. It does. Right. That's the Satan trickster tempting the hero. She's just like leaning back like, oh my God, what's happening? I've got it all mapped out, Lucy. First, I go to the board of directors and get them to make you my vice president. Then we take the Shop-A-Lot channel public and turn it into a media empire. By next year, we'll rule the world. By next year... We'll own Christmas! <laughs> what? Something wrong? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know why I'm saying this. Because, you know, this is not my thing, but, uh, nobody. No when, no how, nobody. Nobody can own Christmas. But you're right. He's such a funny character that it's not scary. It's just funny. Yeah. And you know what's happening. You know what they're implying. And right. it's like, ah, here it is. Here right. is the ultimate decision. <laughs> it's really funny. It's great. If you get a chance to watch that clip, watch it because it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I think generally speaking, comedy is what's going to pull me into anything. And this movie has lowbrow and what I would con- what they call a highbrow comedy in it. And I really like that. It has, like, really well-written jokes, but it also has, like, the stupid slapstick stuff in it occasionally. And I think it's a really nice mix. It's more of a comedy than the Santa Claus. It doesn't quite hit the deep side of, like, you would see in the Santa Claus. But it also does have its moments. Like, it has, you know, with her father dying and mention of Vietnam. Like, there are some, like, heavy topics in there. They're just a little bit more buried than, than you think, I guess. And I think talent is a huge factor there, right? Tim Allen, Whoopi Goldberg, these are actors that can do both drama and comedy. So when a film can be categorized as both, they have the best performances. Absolutely. It's so convincing. Absolutely. I think that's 100% true. And not only the mains, but the people that are supporting them, the characters around them have to be believable and and be able to do that range to some degree. So there were a couple other things in terms of representation that I jotted down because I was really impressed by it. This movie has a lot more representation than even the Santa Claus or a lot of the more mainstream but high box office, which is problematic. Some of the ones that I didn't include, you you did mention this and I didn't get a chance to bring it up, but the assistant woman 
her nephew. He's autistic and we get a pretty good scene with him. I'm sorry, he's not autistic. He has Down syndrome and we get a pretty good scene with him talking to Santa and like him recognizing the magic that Santa has and like it's a really like sweet scene that wasn't necessary. And I think that's how you know that some of these things are deliberate was because they're not necessary. It didn't feel like it was played for sympathy alone. Like it felt like this was an opportunity to show that Nick is a really genuinely good person and also allows for representation um, of different kinds of people. Cameron being a multiracial man, he's in a position of power. He is an antagonist, which is a little bit of the Venom problem, but it's nice to see somebody else in that role. Even that is, I mean, it's not nearly as bad as the Venom problem. He's not like a big bad guy. He's just sort of like money hungry and greedy. But I'm like, that's LA. So (laughs) you can't blame him. I mean, on the scale of things, (laughs) he's pretty low in terms of like being a bad guy. And it's nice to see somebody in that role that has more power. And same with, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's character. Lucy is the black woman, the leading character the whole story is about her it never really strays from that especially like as a santa character that's pretty rare i don't know that i know of any other examples of that buddy everybody's giving her respect there's no controversy there that she's right. a woman that she's black not in her network and not in her um, new job as santa claus yep it just doesn't exist there is a scene when she's first training to be santa she goes down the chimney and there's this kid oh my god it's so cute there's not a problem there but he does say you're a girl but he says you're a girl which i think is really interesting because they could have gone a lot of different ways with that or at least two different ways with that (laughs) they didn't focus on the race they focused on her gender and there's something to that on both sides you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and uh, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off you should continue with that scene no that was it (laughs) that was the only time it was really pointed out as an issue Right. Was by a child, and he didn't even care about it. He was just observing it. Yeah. (laughs) So go ahead, say your thing. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. I just, I forgot about that scene. Hi. Now, I don't you be afraid, okay? I'm not. Well, I would be if I saw some stranger in my living room. But not to panic, because I'm what they call a Santa in training. You don't look like Santa. What do you mean? Because you're a girl. I am a girl. And you are so sweet to notice. Her status, her personal power, her agency is never questioned. And it's not ignored. It's not like this role was written for a white person. It works because it's written for her, but also isn't about her being able to do something or not do something because of arbitrary things like her gender. In my opinion, that's like the perfect formula. Unless you're intentionally making a film to address some political stance. Like you said, it's good to see representation with that touch of uniqueness from that culture, from that race, from that identity. Yeah. And we need a lot more of it. A lot more of it. (laughs) Because it's 2001 when this was made. Yeah. And it's still the only example I can really think of that features a woman in that role, let alone a woman of color. Right. Let alone, you know a non-straight woman there's a lot of different things there that are untapped completely untapped but another just in terms of like talking about race there is there's not only mention but visual of a korean child which is again not all that uncommon in la but not something you typically see on tv especially in this context in like a christmas film so i felt like it deserved a mention because Somebody was thinking about it. Mm. Somebody was like, let's not pick a white child. (laughs) Let's pick somebody different, shall we? And I'm like, thank you. Like, maybe that's not like a huge deal, but it does make a difference for me. And it does for other people as well. Cool. Uh, We talked about global warming, homelessness, cross-dressing. I mean, this movie has a lot of elements that are small, but make a difference overall because there's a lot of them. And it's nice that it doesn't feel like tokenism which is important. It doesn't feel like it's there just to make certain groups of people happy. And it also never goes back to a storyline that's not about those people. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it always goes back to Whoopi's character. And that's really important. And it is about Nick as well, but only in the sense of 
Lucy. He becomes the mentor by the end. It's not, I mean, Lucy even Makes changes. Him. <laughs> yeah, she should have sort of changes his title in that this is the first time a Santa Claus asks a retired Santa Claus to stay on with the magic, with the role. She wants his help. She doesn't want him to just leave and retire. She believes that there's still a lot in him that he can offer. Which I thought was another interesting choice. That's the change that she brings. Exactly. Because she's not the typical Santa Claus. Right. And she gets to make decisions like that, like you said. That's her new agenda, her new power. Yeah. Hello. She's not giving things up. She's adding things to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. What about the elves? Didn't we talk? We haven't talked about the oh. elves yet. Yeah, no. The group of elves that they show in the workshop is different. It's nice. There's kids and adults. There's small people. There's, I don't remember if there's any people of color. They kind of go over everything really quickly. But it's it's nice to see like a diverse group of at least ages and types, body types too, that make up the, the workshop. If you look at the track of elves in Christmas movies, they do tend to hire little people consistently, right? If you decide to do that, you have to do all of them. Or if it's kids, you do all kids. Yeah, exactly. There's something implied by saying that they're all one type. Mm -hmm. But it feels like for this one, it was open hire. Yes, we'll have little people in there. Integration. But yeah, then we'll have like these elder people who are, you know, they're toy makers too. And yeah, they're there and some are really tall and some are baby kids. It's great. This is exactly what you would imagine the North Pole to be filled with magical people. Yeah. The first time I'd seen that. Same. And they they do make references to like them being different kinds of creatures. Like they imply that there are such things as unicorns. Oh yeah. You know, and such thing as goblins. And it's it's kind of cool. It's like light what is it? Light world building. Soft world building. Soft world building, thank you. Where you kind of do get like an image of like, oh, there's like a whole other society and they're integrated. Yeah. They're all part of it together, which these are really subtle things, but like you don't see them a lot on TV or in film at all. So it's really refreshing to see like these like fresh takes on tropes and ideas that can get really tiresome really quick. I mean, you know, in terms of things being changed for this film, it is pretty nice that there isn't a lot I would change because it already has a lot of cool changes in it. I think the only notes I had were like the order of how it played out. What did you say that you would change? It really is more like play because I, I think if I were to update this or make it my own, you know, I would use a lot of the same elements i would just switch out some of the main i guess motivations ah. like i may want to use like a gay woman and her falling out on christmas is like her homosexuality being looked down on or breaking up the family or something like that that needs to be fixed like i would change the the elements that would fit what i want to see oh which are very much already in the realm of what's happening here like, I think, like, a story like A Christmas Carol, for instance, needs more diversity and it needs more points of view and it needs more changing because there's so many versions of it. I don't even know if they expect to make money from it anymore. And then they wonder, well, how come it's not working? Well, the pattern must be exhausted. I'm like, no, the pattern's going to be there forever. That's <laughs> not it. Good. Yeah, and it works, so. It's what you're, like, utilizing, putting into the pattern. Updating it. Yeah. You always have to keep changing things or it dies so tell me yeah tell me about what you want to what you would switch this is actually more specific to call me claus um i like the idea of of seeing what i would like changed um i didn't actually think about that all that <laughs> but i think it was important uh, you know if i was a director i would want a moment during the second tactic of nick when he takes her to the north pole at this point, she seems pretty on board, even though she thinks it's a dream. She's <laughs> she's interested in all of the magic. She's like, "Oh, look, there's Rudolph. Oh, these aren't goblins. What are you guys?" You know, <laughs> like she she's not fighting it until there's this moment where he's saying, "Like, well, then you must be able to do it. Like, you must want it, right?" And again, we're ignoring this big trauma in Lucy's life, but I didn't I didn't see that come back in this moment. I wanted just like one more serious moment where we understand that Lucy blames Nick 
for not bringing her father home because right. I think that's at the core of her character. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like dramatic or anything, but it that drama side of her needed to sort of live there for a while. Yeah. And the reason why she has to say no for the second time. And then the last thing is the order of the climax. So Lucy voluntarily puts on the Santa hat during her revelation and looking in the mirror, she sees the glowing. So it means that she is an ultimate believer of Christmas. So again, that's another motivation to be like, aha, he's right. It was me. And she needs to go find Nick to say, okay, I accept, you know, let's do it. Let's start right now because it's Christmas Eve. We're out of time. (laughs) And instantly Nick has to show her how to do things. And in the movie, it's kind of quick, but once she accepts, the sleigh appears her costume appears in a traditional Santa Clausy sort of thing. Red suit, Santa hat, and they make a joke about her dreadlocks, like she wants to keep her hair. But then they put like this fake white dreadlocks over her real dreadlocks. If you want to scatter some white dreads, I'm happy with that, but not a whole head, okay? It's kind of funny, but it didn't feel like it was Lucy's choice. And it didn't feel like she had earned that yet. Because the training was just starting. Just saying yes to the job doesn't mean much yet, in my opinion. What I wanted was Lucy to accept the job, them to start the training, but with her pedestrian clothes. Like, keep the Santa hat on, but the training needs to be a Lucy thing. I like this initiation scene where she goes to the first house. She needs to know how the chimney works, right? (laughs) She just lies. (laughs) Yeah. It gets me every time. One. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What? What if there's a fire? It won't be a fire. How do you know? I've been doing this for 200 years. I know, but you're you and I'm just me. <laughs> I'm smelling sugar cookies. I don't think that's sugar cookies you're smelling. <laughs> and then when she's inside the house, she sees the magic of the Santa bag, which is the gifts are, are um, in this like whirlpool of endless. Vortex. Yeah, and they just come out. Like she knows exactly what to leave on the Christmas tree. Right. So that whole initiation works super well. And she does it successfully, right? That should be rewarded. And it, it is because before they leave Hollywood, Nick is the one to say, we can't leave yet because there's something that you're missing. And Lucy knows what he's talking about and she almost like dreads it. Yeah. But she goes anyway. It's a concert that her niece is singing at. So her younger brother has a daughter and Lucy's mother is also with them. So that's the family that's been estranged and... They gave her a deadline, like, come to this concert. We need you back. And if you don't come, then that's all we, you know, we can't do anything else. Yeah. So, again, we're circling back to the original trauma. And she's still hesitant, but she knows she needs to be there. And once she's there, you know, she's watching her niece. And it's sort of all sinking in. And she sees her mom and her younger brother. So that that all, again, feels like the drama elements. It's not dramatic. I'm just calling right. it drama elements because it's a serious moment. Right. Where she realizes, just like Scrooge, that she's missed a lot. Yeah. And she now needs to redeem herself. Yeah. And then that's what happens, you know, as soon as she's done singing, the family, like, goes up to her and is like, what are you wearing? Oh, <laughs> and that's what I didn't like. I was like, they needed to see her for who she was. This, uh... this changed Lucy without the theatrics of like oh what's the santa claus thing right that didn't matter as much as her being there as lucy right so it's after that scene of redemption that i think she should have been adorned with the santa uniform because she's earned it by then makes sense literally that was the only change i would have made if i was the director yeah and then to maybe play around with the santa costume because i still didn't like it what did you think yeah i mean i i like that she still had agency i think despite them sort of putting that on her she had a say like she didn't want the belt they wanted to make it unique but on top of that she's still in in the story in the universe she still gets to have say and i totally agree i think having that play out after even having her family witness her and the costume and everything would be really fun and cute and and like you said that way they get to see her as her and her as this new thing that's the idea of a transformation being a reward versus just something that happens. Right. Because the other reward for the world is snowfall in California. Right. Which doesn't... Southern California. Yeah. (laughs) So it's the divine rewarding the world, saying, now you have a Santa Claus, you're going to be okay. And it's interesting to think that her younger brother was a possibility of her identity. She could have gone the family route. She could have had the child. But something that's unique about this movie is that it was the sister 
who becomes Santa Claus. Right. And it's the brother that keeps the family. Yes. Yeah, totally. I agree. I, oh, I love that. But I would love to have seen that little girl like look up at her aunt and be like, you're Santa Claus. And in that moment, she could choose what to wear. Like right. She knows how to use magic now. And Nick is just witnessing being yeah. proud as well. Maybe? Yeah. That would have felt more cathartic to me. Yeah, anyway. totally. Now, dancer and prancer and Nixon and Blixen and dash away, dash away, dash away all. Highly recommend. If I haven't said that already, I highly recommend watching this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. And I will have, I will say that it is not impossible to find. I, for some reason, couldn't find it, but you found it very easily. It's on YouTube. But I think purchasing it or renting it is very, I think it's like two ninety nine or three ninety nine. Totally. Something. Yeah. So if you are tired of the holiday movies that you have been watching and you want something new... This is a great choice. We always need a little bit of Whoopi Goldberg yeah. in our lives. Yeah. So remember to believe in Santa Claus because otherwise the world will end. <laughs> no more eggnog for me. As always, thank you very much to our patron, Jesse Martinez. Your support is very helpful, as well as one of our other avid listeners, Jeanette. Thank you also. If you'd like to, you can share like comment rate we're on facebook um we're on all of your podcast apps twitter uh you can email us it's all at bite the pen at gmail.com you can't miss us really <laughs> it's all right there uh and thanks for listening i hope everybody has a great new year and happy holiday happy holidays jump, jingle bells jumping jingle bells jumping jingle bells jumping jingle bells jumping jingle bells the jumping jingle bell thing? Let's stop it. It's really annoying. Yeah.